Well, since we're starting that sermon series next week, that means this week is the last uh, sermon in the book of Revelation. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have loved going through the book of Revelation with you. I, I don't know how many people in this congregation trusted that we could get through the book of Revelation and you'd have any idea what it's about. Did you? But I want you on the count of three to tell me what the book of Revelation is about. Can you do that? Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. That's a pretty good bet because the very opening verse says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the whole rest of the book, 22 chapters, and even to the very last sentences that we read today, it's still the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you take nothing else away from it, know this. It's all about Jesus. And we're going to go again to Revelation chapter 22 and see that it is about him. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll go to it. Father, thank you so much that you have led us and guided us as a shepherd of the sheep as we have studied and sought you and wished to learn about you in this book. You have been able to take and, and answer some of our questions, to take some of the symbolic things that are shown in this book and reveal to us what it means to, to prepare our hearts for what's going to happen ahead, to, to prepare our hearts for where they need to be now. And we're grateful because that was the work that you had done. And so today we come to you and ask boldly, Lord, that you would do that work in us again, that we would not just kind of quickly scoot out of this book, but that this would be a, a, a great passage that leads us again towards Jesus. So, Lord, would you prepare our hearts and minds to receive the gospel? Would you uh, take my mind and my heart and my lips and cause them to obey you? Would you help us as a community to look forward to your soon coming return? Lord, we trust that that will happen because we're praying in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity this last week to tune into the television and witness the presidential debate. They said that the, the numbers of the presidential debate almost rivaled that of the Super Bowl, uh, that that many people had tuned in to watch uh, not just these two individuals, but whole parties and, and, and a country uh, that is somewhat divided going over in a debate. And what's interesting about these debates, and that's not just this year, it's been four years ago and four years before that. Or if you just take a, a governor's race or a mayor's race or even go to your town uh, to, the, to the mayor. And, and, and it's, what's interesting is when they have a debate, here are these candidates who have been... Uh, told to be trustworthy. They have been shown to have uh, uh, experience and they stand up there at these debates going back and forth. And immediately, as soon as the debate is over, you have people called fact checkers who come to the debate and they view and listen to what the people have said and they go back and they, they look at all the things that had happened in the past and they say, is what they said true? Were the numbers that they quoted the accurate numbers? Was the testimony about what occurred during that period the actual thing that happened? And there's even the best candidates seemingly come up with these fanciful numbers that somehow help their case and make it maybe be something that it's actually not. Or maybe they're perpetuating a lie against the quote-unquote enemy that they might be using what might not actually be facts to somehow prop their agenda and their political campaign up to get the votes that they need. And so I don't know about you, but I often go in, even if I like a candidate, I, I watch these 
these debates with a little bit of like, yeah, but, you know, there's probably going to be a spin on there. And what I love about Jesus and his word, he's not trying to spin anything. With Jesus and his word, when you read it, you can go back and check the facts. But the fact is, you don't have to check the facts because he is the word of God. He is the way, the truth and the life. And when Jesus speaks, what he speaks is true. So when he tells us about the past and he's targeting you in the present, but he's also talking about the future, what you know is that you can fact check all you want. But the truth is, they're the facts. That he's telling the truth. And that's where he starts here in in our last passage. Revelation chapter 22 verse 6 says this. And he said to me. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets. Has sent his angel to show his servants. What must soon take place. So everything that we have read the angel says to John. All these things are true. Everything about the heart of man, everything about God and his goodness, everything about what he has been doing to finally bring this world to an end, bring his people home and defeat his enemies. It is absolutely true. Everything that the prophets have said is true. And I love that because I can approach this next sentence knowing that it's true. Here, Jesus gets into the mix. Verse seven, and he speaks to John saying, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus says that I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. We know those words to be true because it's Jesus speaking. He's always been good and true. And so I trust that he's coming again soon. We're going to get into the coming soon again later on. But it says here in verse eight, then I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. He was the witness. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Again, John, who's this great apostle, had walked with Jesus for three years. Even while he's receiving this vision about Jesus, he gets so overwhelmed by the glorious nature of it all. Remember, he's just gotten off in the account of uh, gotten the account of how awesome the new Jerusalem is and that there in the center of it will be the glory of God, the light of Jesus that will be there forever and ever with us. It's glorious. And yet in that moment, Johnny almost spiritually freaks out. And instead of bowing down to Jesus and these words that he's just said about coming soon, he turns to the angel and he worships a being that is reflecting the glory of God, but he is not God. And the truth is sometimes we get so overwhelmed by the gospel. We get oh so overwhelmed by what happens even as we hear the scriptures. We're like, that is amazing. And then we quickly turn our attention and give worth to something that isn't worthy of being worshipped. We should always turn to Jesus and say, Jesus I am all yours. Whatever you tell me to do, it is all about you. Unfortunately, maybe we don't bow down to angels, but we begin to give too much worth and worship to things that even though they might be Jesus's are not to be worshipped. One of the most worshipped things in all the world. Is you. You know that. Sometimes you are so overwhelmed by what happens at church and maybe you will be even tonight and this whole week as you go to revival. The Lord might come and touch you with the gospel. And in those moments of feeling that and and spiritually being overwhelmed by that, you might actually turn. 
and just worship the church. Worship the church. Now, I know that sounds, well, how in the world can I worship the church? Let the Lord show you. Lord, do I bow down to just what everybody at the church wants me to do? Do I lift up people in the church more than I lift up Jesus? Sometimes I know, and this is, I'm sure none of you have this problem, but sometimes the pastor gets lifted up higher than Jesus. Never, ever, ever should the church or anybody in the church or the actions of the church or, or the look of the church or any of those things be lifted up and worshipped. It should only be Jesus worshipped. Only So even an angel says, don't worship me. I'm just a servant like you. Worship God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Even John had to be reminded. So today you're like, no, I don't have a problem with that. Watch yourself. Even John had to be checked on that. And it's good for us to be checked because the best worship is Jesus worship. And if we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping idols in some way or form. Worship Jesus and Jesus alone. And then the angel speaks to John here in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. So he says, don't hide this book. Don't don't seal it up like in an envelope and tuck it away. This needs to be read because what ends up happening as the gospel goes out, it actually cuts. And the people who are really with Jesus, the people who are really looking to God, they're the righteous ones. They actually move more towards righteousness. They say, I love God. And what this is causing me to do is get away from my sin. And follow Jesus more. But at the same time, when the gospel goes out, when we hear the word of God and the book of Revelation and the things from Jesus' lips, people who hear those who are not with Jesus, and sometimes it's hard to tell in a congregation, really, or in the world. If somebody's not really with Jesus and they hear these words, they're like, uh-uh. And it'll actually push them. And that's okay. When the word of God comes out, Jesus is like, this is going to show you who actually is with him and who's not with him. If you were in war and you were sitting in a bunker. Wouldn't you want to know that the person next to you isn't on the other team? War ends up showing who's actually with you, right? And when the gospel comes out, Jesus says it's like a sword. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. He says, I've come to lay down the truth so that people who are going to be with me, they'll be with me. And the people are not. They right now will not be. But maybe someday they'll actually truly love me and come to faith. He puts out the gospel to say, I want this to be real. I want to know who my real people are. I want to know who my real church is. I want to know who the real bride is. Are you the real bride? Are you the real church? And he tells John, don't seal up this book. Let people read it because it's going to help people who are righteous go towards righteousness. Those who are in their filth and just hiding it, it's going to send them towards their filth. It's going to show who's who. Who's with Jesus? We'll get into this a little bit more, but it says here in verse 12, again, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Again, those words, Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, these are all indicators throughout Scripture that he's God. It was one of the ways that God revealed that he was God, that there's there's nothing apart from me. I know beginning from end. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the author and the perfecter. I'm everything. 
I am the judge. I am God. And so he says, on that day, I'll bring my recompense and I'll repay everyone for what they have done. We're always talking about what you don't have to do in order to be saved. So what am I supposed to do? One thing. Bow down. There is one thing that the Lord will say, did you do this? And if it's you say, all I did was submit, all I did was say, I believe. That's the work. And what will he repay you with? He will repay you with eternal life. That's your one deed. If you have done that, then he says, let me repay you with eternal life in the glorious city of God where he will live with you and you will never, ever again be touched by suffering, pain, sorrow, crying, death. You have earned life because you have simply believed. You have believed. Now, for those who on the other side of that action, whether they have all together said, we don't want you, Jesus, or by their actions have said, we don't need your work. We'll just try to save ourselves. All of those actions will be paid back eternal punishment. Jesus has told us in this book that there is a lake of fire that awaits not only Satan, not only the Antichrist and the system of Satan, but also all those who have not called upon the name of Jesus. That they will be cast into the lake of fire where there will be eternal darkness. An everlasting shame, it says in the book of Daniel. So that's how Jesus will pay. He will look and say, who has bowed and who has not? Who has submitted and who has not? Those. It, that's what has been done. And he will repay with either life or he will repay with death for eternity. Verse 14 says, blessed are those. This is what he's talking about. Blessed are those who wash their robes. That is in the blood of Jesus, we're told in the scripture. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, it's easy to look at that and look at all the people outside. Be like, I'm glad I'm not a murderer. I mean, none of you are murderers, right? (laughs) Sure hope not. But at the same time, when we look at those things and it says here that there's sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters. It's easy for us to say, oh, I've never done that. And yet Jesus set the bar of what those things are. He says, you may have not physically murdered somebody, but if you hate somebody. It's just like murdering them. He says, you may have never actually slept with another person and cheated on your spouse. But if you've done so in your mind, in your heart. You've actually cheated on it. You've committed adultery. If you have in any way bowed to anything other than Jesus Christ, then you are an idolater. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. It says there that anyone who's practiced falsehood. We've all probably spoken a lie. How many times have you walked up to the pastor and you've been in sin all week and the pastor says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm fine. See, I got you. Because I know I do the same thing. I've had a hard week. Something's gone on. You come up and ask me, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine is the biggest lie that we've got. So we're all hung up on this news. We all have sinned. We all do these things. It's not just the people outside the gate, but Thanks be to God. 
That even though he says all of them are the outsiders, that if you have washed your robes in the blood of Jesus, that you will not be an outsider. You'll be taken into that city and you will be clean. You'll be his. And the good thing is, if that has happened, if we are his in this life, he's going to start dealing with your mind. He's going to start dealing with your heart. He's going to start dealing with the lies and he's going to get you to follow Jesus in truth. He will do those things if you are truly, truly his. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Again, he's establishing who he is. He is the king. He is the beginning of everything. He is the brightness of of God, the bright morning star. And he says, I've sent you my angel so that you can know these are truth. This is a testimony. I'm bearing witness that everything is true. He goes on in verse 17 and it says here, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. When God saves a person, he takes his Holy Spirit. This is one third of the Trinity, actual God. And that Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your heart. And when he dwells in your heart, the scripture talks about how there's this magnetism effect that's going on with God himself, where God is jealous for his spirit. And since his spirit is in you, it's being pulled back towards God. And so one of the things that the spirit of God desperately wants is the spirit of God can't wait for Jesus to come because there will be the completion of the fellowship of God as God, the father, son, and the spirit are brought back together in that way. But also it'll be dragging you with it. And so in that verse, it says the spirit and the bride say, come. One of the marks of a believer is that if you are so into Jesus and who God is, that he has changed your life as you are living in whether life is going good or whether life is going bad, that you'd be saying, Lord, I cannot wait for you to come. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, evidence of him who's changing your heart to say, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I love him. And surely he's got me doing things now, but man, I just cannot wait for him to come back. And going on, it says this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So that's just a warning. All right. Nobody go out and start ripping out pages of Revelation or other parts of your Bible. Don't don't go ripping those out. It says if anyone takes away the words of the prophecy of this book, the plagues that are described in it will come upon them. Also, if you take don't start adding things into the book. Always look and make sure it's scripture, because if you add, it says also you're in big trouble. Now, that is an important thing, because right here, God is saying, I am protecting my word. If I am trustworthy, I don't want another pundit. I don't want another uh, commentary. I don't want anything else adding or taking away from my word. Why? Because from the beginning, God is been in a battle to make sure people trust his word. From beginning to end, the scripture is about a battle over God's word. When that serpent, we just learned about this at Bible Diggers on Wednesday. Remember that, kids? When the serpent came into the garden, and who was the serpent? Andrew. It was the devil. 
that Satan himself came in and tempted Eve and deceived her. And his question to her, the temptation was, it wasn't about an apple or a fruit. The temptation was this. Did God really say? Can you trust his word? The battle wasn't over a fruit. The battle was, does God really mean when he's creator and you are not, that that's the truth? Satan goes on to say, because God really knows that when you eat of the fruit, you will become like him, knowing good and evil. The question was, was God telling the truth? That was what happened at the very beginning. All the way now to the book of Revelation. That's why Jesus is saying, take care of this book. Don't have anything taken away. Don't add to it because this right here is the truth. Don't let Satan deceive you. Don't let anybody else talk to you. Don't let Jason, your preacher, say anything that's not in this book. This is the truth. And this truth will set you free if you believe on it. So he's very careful to make sure that you're hearing the truth. Very, very careful. Why? Because of this. Again, in verse 20, he says. This is talking about Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Have you noticed that this has been about the word of God today, that you can trust it? Why? Because Jesus three times already in this passage, it says this. Believe me when I say this, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And in the hearts of believers, we should say, Lord, come. Lord, I want you to come. I can't wait till you come. And in fact, John responds here. He says, amen. That means I believe that. He says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. John ends his book by saying, Jesus says he's coming soon. Amen. Lord, please come soon. You see, for John, remember where he's writing from. Remember what he's experienced. John was the only disciple of Jesus who was not martyred. All the rest of them for the truth of Jesus Christ, saving us from our sin and the resurrection from the dead, and that he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he's coming back again soon. For that message, every single one of them, except for John, paid with their life. Why? Because it wasn't a lie. It wasn't a story. It wasn't a myth. It was the truth. John was the only disciple who did not die a martyr's death, even though they tried. John was in the midst of an arena when the emperor of Rome had him lowered into a pot of boiling oil. Now, I know Johnston County here. You know how to fry food. Okay, you know, when you want to get something dead and eat it, you fry it. Well, the emperor knew if I stick that John who I hate and I hate the message that he has, if I stick him in that boiling pot of oil, he is going to die. I'm going to fry him in front of everybody in this place. As they're putting John down to that boiling pot of oil, John was preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the crowd. Because he loved Jesus so much. He put him down into the oil. And the emperor got angry. Why? Because the oil was not harming John. They pulled him up out of the oil. John was unharmed. There wasn't, there wasn't uh, burns. There weren't scars. There wasn't, he wasn't melting. Nothing was happening to John. And so because the emperor was so mad that he couldn't kill John, he took John and exiled him to the island of Patmos. 
And while John was on the island of Patmos, we've been told in the book of Revelation, that's where he receives this vision and writes the book of Revelation. So you can imagine an 80-something-year-old man who has lived his life for Jesus. He's been beaten before. He's been mocked, and now they've tried to boil him in oil. And now he is exiled. He's lived a hard life. Oh, for Jesus, you can imagine those moments, somebody like that is says, yeah, I want you to come now, Lord. This is hard. And boy, would it be great to escape what's going on in this life and get to the next. Problem with us in this day is we are a very, very comfortable church in America. We don't have a lot going on usually that has a say. Well, I want Jesus to come now. Why? Because we're we're too comfortable. Once in a while, the Lord will rattle things or it'll put you in situations like I just I could use Jesus right about now. I had a friend this week. I just showed up to Bible study here on Thursday. And Miss Carolyn asked me as soon as we got out of the car at the same time, she said, have you heard the news this morning? I said, what news? She said there was a passenger train in Hoboken, New Jersey, that crashed into the platform. Lots of people hurt, people probably killed. Well, that certainly got my attention because one of my best friends from college, my roommate, uh, Ian, is from Hoboken, and he takes the train in every day to New York. And so I quit, get on my phone, and I call, I call Ian. And the first thing Ian says is, did you see my pictures? I was glad to hear his voice. I said, I, I haven't seen your pictures. Somebody just told me the news. He said, my pictures right now, because I was at the station, are being used in all the media, major media outlets right now. But he said this. He said, for whatever reason, my train was delayed today. If my train had not been delayed, I would have been standing right on the platform where that train hit. And so he said, please keep me and my friends and everybody in, in, in prayer. So we prayed for him. It was praying through the day. And, I, you know, I was thankful because the Lord has spared my friend Ian's life. But, man, I can't tell you how even more thankful I was to receive a text of his. I want to read a portion of that that he sent me later in the day. He said this. The reality is, if you do not commute to New York City, the greatest city in the world and the greatest terrorist target in the world. I told him, obviously, he's never been to Four Oaks, North Carolina. You will and cannot understand the emotion and frustration of our national security. I think about every day. I thank my parents that my security is in Jesus Christ. I was able to witness to a friend tonight that has been burned by Christians, but is happy to discuss religion and politics with me. I'm tired, frustrated, but most importantly, hoping Jesus comes soon, our Lord and Savior. I'm on the train almost home and I can't wait to have pizza with my wife. Love you, my family, Ian. And I was so thankful that the Lord's placed him in a situation where every day he's concerned about security, but that the Lord, by his word, has said, you don't need, need to be concerned. Your security is in me. You trust me. 
And so while nationally and in the city, while it may be a target, and we can't figure out how to keep ourselves secure all the time. You trust me for your security. And I was thankful that in the midst of that whole thing, that the Lord put him in contact with a friend who knows not about Jesus and actually mocks Jesus. And that Ian was able to share with his friend, hey, my security is in Jesus. Listen to what he's done by the cross. He has saved me from my sin. And even though something might have happened today, I know eternally that I'll be with him. And even better than that, I love, and I don't hear this out of our mouths, out of Christians' mouths enough, that Ian would say, I hope Jesus comes soon. I hope he comes soon. He's got a great job. He's got a great wife and family. He was going to eat pizza that night. Man, he wants Jesus. And I I was so thankful that that's where his heart was. Because as this scripture says, the spirit and the bride say come if we're with jesus if if we're living in him certainly we go through our day asking him to order our steps but also making sure our heart is on eternal things and saying lord i want you to come i want you to come i want you to come this girl was at the thanksgiving dinner table with her grandparents and she was playing with her grandpa's wedding ring and she was trying to get it off and And he said to her, he said, "Um, do you know why that ring doesn't come off? Because I love your grandma. And the little girl said, well, sometimes grandma's comes off. (laughs) And uh, it got me thinking, it's a funny story, but I wondered how many times we're like, you know what? I am wedded to Jesus. We are with him. But, you know, for a little while, just going to, sorry, Katie. This is just an illustration for a little while. I'm just going to take this ring off for a little while because I I got some things to do over here. And let me just do what I want to do over here for a while. And he's coming someday. And I wonder if we walk around as the bride of Christ in hiding. We walk around just having our life the way we want it. Not actually attached to him, not actually longing for him, not actually saying, I will wear this ring with pride. I will put it on my finger. I will wear Jesus on my heart because he's everything to me. And whether it's a cozy day or a hard day or the train wreck today, it doesn't matter what happened. I cannot wait for him to come back because he loves me and I love him back. In the scripture, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of the many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin again, but to save those who are, and catch this, who are eagerly waiting for him. It says he's not coming again to deal with sin. He did that the first time when he died on the cross. And now in this age, there are people looking at that truth saying, save me, Lord. And when they in their hearts have have done that action, and they believe upon him. They are now his. They're his bride. And it says this, that he's not coming again to deal with sin. He's coming to get his bride. Who is his bride? It says for those who are eagerly waiting for him. They are the ones saying with the spirit. Come, Lord. They're the ones who are saying, 
There is about to be tribulation and trials beyond the imagination of all the world that have been spoken of in the book of Revelation. And no matter what comes and that we might go through it, I will endure because my groom, our groom, is worth it. Is he worth it to you? If this morning in your heart you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for him to come yet. That's not a question of how good he is. It's a question of where your faith is. If you're not ready for Jesus to come back. This is on the day that he come back. There may be a big surprise for you. That day when he comes back instead of going home. You may be chucked out. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? This morning, as the Lord really grabs a hold of our hearts, it's not one of those things where if he's saved you before, then he has to keep saving you every day. If you've asked him for forgiveness once, it's not as if you have to say it again today or or that last one wasn't legit. If you've been saved by Christ, what your prayer is today is, Lord, then then cause me to love you back with everything that I've got. And it's this constant work of saving. He started it and he's going to complete that. And you might say today, I don't know if I can say, Lord, come yet. There's things I want to do. There's a let him work on you. But let him work on you with a jackhammer. Okay, don't think this is going to get by with a little soft cloth. Let him work on you quickly. Why? Because what if a train wreck happens in your life today? And you're not ready to tell your friends about Jesus. You're not close enough to him to know him as security. You're not close enough to him to know how dear he is. You've taken the ring off for a little while. So if you know Jesus, really know Jesus, then ask him today to do a mighty work in you so you come to a place of saying, come, Lord. And you say that not only in your voice, but by your daily following of Jesus, your actions are saying, come, Lord, I love you, Lord. Be with me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Save me, save me, save me. He is your salvation. If today you find yourself as the gospel come out and the righteous are on this side and you're the filthy on this side, but you recognize, man, I need to be I need to be clean. Then your one action there, your one action is to get on your knees and say, then, Lord, clean me. Do your work. Sometimes people, they'll come up to me and I'll say, how you doing? They'll say, I'm fine. To me, it doesn't. But if you come to Jesus. And he says, how you doing? And you just say, I'm fine. It's probably a lie. If you come to Jesus. And you think he can't know how dirty and wicked I. He already knows he wants to save you. And I'm more than willing to pray for you. You can come to me and I'll pray with you. And some of you would say, well. Pastor, I, you don't know the things I've done. You don't, you don't know the things I've done in the past, how wicked I, I can't ever tell you that. 
And we've all got a past. We've all got a history. So I'm more than willing to pray with you through anything that you've got. There is nothing that you would come tell me where I would say, that's too dirty. I don't want to be with you. I would love to pray with you, but more than that, go to Jesus. You can't clean yourself up before you go to him. He says, come to me and then I clean you. Come to me and then I wash your robe. I guarantee you this, when he washes your robe and he cleanses you, you begin in your spirit to say this, Come, Lord, come. I want to be with you. Be with me today. Come today and be with me. And come on the day of your return. I eagerly want you in my life. We're going to close today by having the choir. They're going to join in a song. And the, the overwhelming theme is, Lord, come, Lord, come. I want you to hear the theme of not only that Jesus came once, it has kind of a Christmassy tone to it, but it also has a future that he's coming again. And so as fervently as you love to celebrate Christmas, Start celebrating that he's coming soon. And as you hear these words that are being sung, then let your spirit also cry out, Lord, come, Lord, come. If you want to sing along, you're more than welcome to do that because I probably need covered with my voice anyway. But choir, if you'll come up and we'll close out with this song. And while we're singing, if anybody wants to come down for prayer, you're welcome to come. We're going to close out with this song. Wrapped in clothes of white